Before we get into this uh, last message of a three-part series called The Glory of Small, we've just been talking about this new shift that we're moving into in this season, and today will be my final message on this, and it'll just be called Nuts and Bolts, kind of the practical aspect, but I just wanted to share something that was on my heart this morning, and it's really a prayer for us. It's been my prayer for this community from the start of of the church, always, whoever is a part of this church community, there's a prayer that, that burns in me. And it's that we would be a people who, who please the Lord, who honor the Lord, bring delight to God. And this is a huge theme, actually, in, in Scripture. Uh, sometimes the way we live as followers of Jesus can be even grievous to God, right? The Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And God loves all of his children, but sometimes things we do displease God. When David sinned against Bathsheba, sinned against God, really, by sleeping with Bathsheba, the Bible says the thing that David did greatly displeased the Lord. So even though God loves us as followers of Jesus, we can displease him. We can grieve him. Uh, We can quench the spirit. But we can also please him. We can also live in such a way that is pleasing or even well-pleasing to God. And this has always been my prayer that we would be raising up a people who are well-pleasing to God, who delight in God, and God delights in them. So that, you know, this could be a whole sermon in itself, but, you know, I think um, when you really start meditating on that, it's a lot more than just this, isn't it? It's a lot more than than what we do for an hour or two on a Sunday morning. Um, It's easy to come in and, you know, just be friendly and sing some songs. But to be well-pleasing to God involves everything we are, right? It's a lifestyle. It's who we are behind closed doors. It's, It's our marriages. It's the way we treat one another. It's the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts, right? It's the motives, It's what we do with what we've been given. It's our stewardship seven days a week, uh, week after week after week. It's our faithfulness. It's saying no to temptation when it comes knocking on our door. These are the things that are well-pleasing to God. And the reality is, you know, probably most of what we do as followers of Jesus, is not seen by people, right? I mean, I know, I'm, I'm not even around people, like, all the time. 
right? I mean, we live alone. We're, we're in our own minds. We, we have a thought life. We have a motivation. But God sees who we are. And my prayer for us is that we would not just be a religious people that, that we know how to kind of put it on. We know how to perform at the right time. Because how many know, like, that's what Jesus talked about. He was really strong against that because the religious leaders of his day, they were so good at impressing people, weren't they? They could, you know, they wore these long gowns and had the prayer tassels and they were able to, you know, give long prayers and everybody thought that they were amazing and they had lots of knowledge about God. But Jesus was not impressed at all. We could put it this way. They were not well-pleasing to God. In fact, they were not pleasing at all to God. Because man looks at the outward, right? But God looks at the heart. Jesus is always looking at the heart. And I pray that this church, that we would be a community of people who have hearts that love him, that honor him in public and in private. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. That's my first little sermon for you. little tiny sermon. But like I said, actually today we're going to talk about kind of the nuts and bolts of this new direction that we're moving in, which really isn't new at all. It may be new to some of us if we've grown up in kind of the American Western model of church, but really what we're doing is not new. It's happening all around the world and it's happened for 2,000 years. We're just trying to kind of get back to some of the simplicity of the Christian faith. And that's what really this effort is all about. Really, as as a church, we want to be well-pleasing to God. We want to be, we want to be, if I can put it this way, doing church in a way that honors the design of God. Like God had a design in mind when he created the church, right? From the the start, it it matters to him how things are. It's kind of like my daughter's an architect. You You know, if she designs something and then the builders go off and just, and this happens kind of all the time, but, you know, the builders go off and do something completely different. I mean, it's sort of like what she designed, but she shows up on site and what, what is this? Why is this wall here? What is it? What's going on here? She would be upset, right? The builders need to be honoring the design of the architect. And how many know we're not the architects? (laughs) There's only one. God is the architect of his church. And he has a design in mind, and we want to be honoring that design. All right, well, this month, as I said, marks a new season uh, for us, a new way of gathering, I guess. Um, To refresh you on this, on the first and third Sundays of each month, we will gather here together to worship 184 Broad Street, to worship and hear the word preached, just like we're doing today, you know, a time of singing, a time of hearing the word of God. 
And our plan also moving forward is to celebrate communion on the first Sundays of the month. But on the second and fourth Sundays of each month, we will have several smaller neighborhood gatherings ranging from maybe 12 to 20, 30, maybe 40 people in each. Kind of depends. Some of them are bigger than others. And these will be in various neighborhoods around Greater Providence. And these gatherings will have four basic elements. There will be singing, but it'll feel a little bit different. Instead of band up on a stage and people set in rows, it'll be more of a a circle, kind of clustered together, a little bit more unplugged. And there will be space, because the gatherings are small, there will be space to share a verse or share something from your heart, um, which there's not really room to do that when we're all together like this. Secondly, storytelling. Um, These gatherings are going to be marked by biblical storytelling. And we're really excited about this because kids love the Bible stories, don't they? And adults do as well. And so we're really excited about um, uh, just kind of raising up storytellers in this community. It won't be me. I'll probably do some of them. You'll hear me tell biblical stories in some of the small communities. I'll be touring around to all of them. But we really want to raise up lay people just to, just to be able to tell a Bible story accurately and with their own personality and in a way that engages And so we're excited about equipping people to do that. Thirdly, third element is we're going to break into small groups. Uh, So, you know, we're 20, 30 people gathering in the neighborhood gatherings. But then there will be a point in in that gathering where we'll break it down even further into groups of whatever, you know, three or four or five. And that'll be the time to really go deep and discuss uh, the story that we've heard and to kind of respond together uh, to, to the content that's being presented. And by the way, kids will be a part of these small groups. They'll be a part, really, of everything that we're doing as much as possible, except for, like, the little tiny ones. But we really want to hear how a biblical story engaged a four-year-old. Um, don't be... Yeah, don't don't underestimate just the the power of what a four year old or a five year old could, you know, could say in response to a Bible story, and so we want to include them in our groups, and then of course, lastly, the last element would be the the sharing of a meal together, and kind of potluck style, and we'll get into more of these in a moment. But I love the concept of sharing meals together. It's just it's biblical, isn't it? The early church did it. They broke bread in each other's homes. There's something about a meal, just sitting down and, and talking and sharing your life with somebody. I know we don't do this well in Western culture. Well, I shouldn't say Western culture, really American culture. Um, we're rushed often in the way we do meals. But uh, a, lot of, a lot of places around the world, they know how to do food. They slow down. That's the point of... I don't know, God, why did God design us to need to eat 
at all. You know, why, why, what is the purpose of it? I think God had a design there that eating would slow us down. It would bring families together around a table. It would cause, uh, you know, people to have to stop working for a bit and sit down and have real conversations because God is a relational God and he cares about those things. So meals are really important. And Christians, as Christians, we should do that together. And so we will do that together twice a month at least. And then also on the fifth uh, Sundays, occasional uh, fifth Sundays, like last Sunday, we will do a community meal either here or, you know, we met at the Barton Gregorian Elementary School last week uh, for the taco feast that I missed because I was really, really sick. I was really sad to miss that. But uh, these are good times. And again, if you're, I don't know, like if that bothers you religiously, like, you know, we gathered and there was no preaching of the word. You know, we gathered and there was, you know, there was no singing or no worship. You know, you're kind of missing. the, The Bible doesn't say we have to do all of these good things every single time we gather. That's right. Right? Um, Sometimes we... It really lean heavily on the word. Sometimes I preach for an hour and 10 minutes um, and the worship is like 15 and that's what you're getting that day. Other times the worship is longer and the word is a little shorter. Sometimes we just eat together. Sometimes we do mission together. Listen, church is more than just what we do for these, you know, two hours. It's, it's what you do in each other's homes. It's all of it. It's everything we do together is the church. Uh, so hopefully you're okay with, I mean, I saw the pictures. It looked like you guys were fine with the taco party. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. Um, so here's a refresher on the five different neighborhood gatherings that, that will happen on the second and fourth Sundays of each month, which is next Sunday. One location will be the south side, will be right here. Um, it won't be upstairs. It'll be downstairs in the cafe area, 10 o'clock, which is kind of our normal time. Another location will be College Hill, uh, over in the kind of the Fox Point area of College Hill, Wickenden Street, the Vart Gregorian Elementary School, and that'll be 10 a.m. That's where the taco party was. And then there'll be uh, a location in the East Bay, kind of East Providence, near the Rumford, well, it's the Rumford Towers, but it's near Seven Stars, if you're familiar with Seven Stars over in Rumford. And that too is at 10 a.m. It's just a community space in between the, the two towers. It's probably as big as our sanctuary, actually. It's a great space. And then the one in Cranston is gonna be at the Athletic Center on Pontiac Ave, and that'll be 10.30 a.m., a little later. And then the last one, the fifth one, is the West Bay small community or neighborhood gathering. And that's going to be in our mission space, which is uh, on Warwick Neck Ave. And that's going to be later in the afternoon, 4 p.m., actually because there's a, a Baptist church that meets in that space on Sunday mornings. Uh, so that'll be in the, in the afternoon. But also, that's my group. That's my small community, so it also gives me the freedom to visit the other um, neighborhood gatherings on Sunday morning. For all of this information, I just want to let you know that uh, Catherine did a great job kind of updating the website 
And so if you go to the website, you'll see right on the homepage, it says Sunday hybrid model. That's the first thing you see. There's a great visual of what happens each Sunday. There's a map. And then right underneath the map, if you click uh, on more about Sunday gatherings, there's just, uh, I wrote a little letter. And then there's just more details about every location, all the different locations. There's some pictures in there. And then toward the end of that page, we put together uh, frequently asked questions on neighborhood gatherings. I'm not going to read the content here, but I'll just give you a sampling of some of the questions here. What does the typical gathering look like? Is the word of God preached? Are they just twice a month? What about children? Do I have to bring food? What happens when they grow? Why don't we meet in homes? Should I attend the one closest to me? Are these missional? What if I'm not a Christian yet? And so again, there's content under each of those questions. Uh, take some time this week and, and read through that and just get familiar. But it's always a resource for you. If you forget, oh, where am I? Where's the location? Or what, what's the time exactly? Just go to the website. Everything's right there. If you want to invite a friend, this would be the perfect thing to just link them, just forward this page to them. Uh, and it has kind of everything they, they need to know right there. All right. Let's get into this. Um, so again, I'm calling this talk Nuts and Bolts. It's really like kind of the detailed practical aspects of this transition to the hybrid model, uh, as opposed to just merely abstract reasonings about it, which I feel like since the beginning of 2023, I've taught and written extensively on the philosophical and theological reasons behind why we are making this change, right? So if you've been a part of the community for the last year and a half, really more than that, you've, you've heard me talk so much. So I feel like we're, if you've been a part of us for a while, you're, you, hopefully you have a good understanding of why we're doing what we're doing. Um, but today I want to focus on the details. This is happening next week. Next Sunday, we will not all be here seated the way we are right now. We'll be scattered in five different locations. So here are, it sounds like a lot of content, but I'll rip through these. But here are 15 tangible ways this will be different from what we've been doing for the last 20 years. Some of you are skeptical. You're like, he's never going to finish this by the time uh, we're supposed to leave, which is 20 minutes from now. We'll see. We'll see. You can, I'll take the challenge, all right? <laughs> Number one, it means that on the second and fourth Sundays, you can choose one of five locations. And if you decide to come here, it'll not be 100 plus people gathered, but will probably be about 30 people gathered, and it'll be on the first floor in the cafe. Number two, it means that on the second and fourth Sundays, if you have children, you won't drop them off in kids' church, but you will experience church with them. 
The whole experience will feel different for everyone because all the generations will be present in every aspect of this service. Again, for the little, little ones, we're in our, in the different neighborhood gatherings, we're creating spaces so they can just have some time to play. And I understand sometimes it's the little ones that just want to run. So we kind of need to create some contained little spaces for them to break out and do their thing. <laughs> but it will be different because we're really aiming to do church together with all the generations present. And I feel like that's really important. I feel convicted about that. Like, we need to make children feel like this is theirs just as much as ours as adults. Number three, it means that on the second and fourth Sundays, you don't have to merely spectate passively and listen to a long sermon. Everyone can and is encouraged to contribute. There will be room in the song time, as I mentioned, to contribute a prayer or a thought or a verse. There will be time in the small groups to contribute wisdom and insight or time during the meal to share your own stories with people or to give a listening ear and to share what God is doing in your own life. So that that's different. I think... We're very used to just coming to a church service and receiving content or maybe singing some songs. But this is a different thing. We want to come together and come to, just like a potluck, you come, you bring something, right, to share. Uh, so I think this is the idea of small communities, that you're, you're bringing everything. It's not just one or two people. Number four, it means that on the second and fourth Sundays, don't get too sad about this, you may not see Pastor Scott and some of your favorite people from Wren because they will be at one of the other four locations, all right? And they can't be in five places at the same time. You'll see me, as I mentioned, occasionally because, um, well, of course, I'll be here in the main gatherings, first and third Sundays and fifth Sundays, but uh, for second and fourth, I'll try to float around and, and, and visit all of them to support them. Number five, it means that on the second and fourth Sundays, a potluck-style meal will be shared. And this is different because I think we're used to coming to church on a Sunday and there's coffee made and thank Amy and Nikita this morning for making coffee for us. It was great. Um, or even a community meal. I mean, usually we just, we have the potter's house make tacos for us and we just come and eat. Uh, so Pollock is different because we're each contributing uh, something to the meal. Everyone brings a food item to contribute. It doesn't have to be a full, like, giant production that you spent all day on Saturday preparing this thing. A lot of the small communities have already been practicing this. Like, they'll just choose a theme, like sandwiches. And so some, somebody's like, I'll bring pickles. Okay, well, that's kind of, that's manageable, right? <laughs> or I'll bring the cheese or I'll bring the lettuce. You know, it's just simple stuff. But then together, it becomes everything that's needed uh, for, for a great sandwich bar. 
and it's simple. And that's kind of the idea. It's not supposed to be this burden, oh, we got to cook food now all day on Saturday in order to come to church. No, that's not that. Uh, we're, 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 taking, we're approaching this in a, in a very simple way. Um, number six, it means that on the second and fourth Sundays, there's no paid staff putting together the gathering. It means everyone plays a role. Now, even here uh, on these bigger gatherings, it is very much, there's a lot of volunteers that make these bigger sun, Sunday gatherings work. Uh, but this will be unique because often there will be no paid staff. I won't be there. Um, Catherine won't be there. Pastor John won't be there. It'll just be a cluster of lay people that are just from A to Z making everything happen in these communities, which I'm excited about. I know you guys might be scared about that, but I'm excited because I know that's how people really grow. I'll use my brother as an example. He became a Christian, um, I forgot what year, but he coasted for probably five years. You know, this is a good dude, good Christian. He was pretty much bored going to church. He went to a, you know, like a big church in Western Mass in Wilbraham. And just, you know, he was faithful and went there, paid his tithe, did his things. You know, he just kind of didn't grow. Then all of a sudden, somehow he linked with three other couples. He was married. And three other couples... And they planted a church in Springfield, Mass. It's called New Day Church. Now they're in Enfield. And actually, my brother is now planting a new location. He's a pastor on staff. But he was like part of this thing, like these four couples. And his spiritual growth, I mean, it just catapulted over the next year, two years, three years, those first few years of starting this church. And why? Because he couldn't just sit there and spectate. He was actually called out. Like he was starting to use his gifts. The, the lead pastor of the church realized quickly that my brother is actually really smart with systems and, and with kind of behind the scenes thing. And he was really good with like volunteer mobilization and diff, different things like that. He didn't use any of those gifts for like five years. He just like came to church, sat in the back, had his coffee, went home, watched the football game. I mean, this is what he did for years. So again, I'm, I'm excited about this because I know this is going to cause us to grow as a community, stretch us and cause us to flourish. You might be nervous. Maybe. Nope. It's okay. Nope. All right. <laughs> All right, good. Excited. Good, I'm glad you're excited. Um, number seven, it means that on the second and fourth Sundays, the music may not be as polished and produced as it is in our larger gatherings. Uh, there may not be a band. There will not be a screen, I'll tell you that, with you know the song lyrics projected onto the screen. We will provide song books little song booklets. We're kind of choosing like about 30 songs to, that all the small communities will, will use. Um, but there won't be musicians on a stage and people sitting in rows 
singing. It, it just won't be like that. More of a think of more of a circle, more of a cluster together, intimate kids running around, celebrating, doing their stuff. You know, uh, you might say, "Well, you know, it doesn't seem like they're really worshiping." If you want to judge a five-year-old, but uh, <laughs> you know, they're just they're just into the scarves because they're colorful and they're just. Listen, we don't know what's... Kids, I'll tell you this. Kids are way smarter than you. They're way smarter. They're soaking up so much. They're learning uh, just at such a higher, faster rate than all of us. The older you are, the slower you are to learn things. You you think I'm not telling the truth? Go try to learn a language. Mm, You know? Like, teach a, a second language to a four-year-old, they, they pick it up, like, in a few months. Like, they're smart. And so it doesn't seem like they're paying attention, but they're soaking up the atmosphere. And so don't underestimate what God is doing in the hearts of these little five-year-old crazy kids that are running around with scarves. I can't wait to see that. All right, number eight. It means that you'll need to be... This is getting really practical now. You'll need to be good at communicating with the coordinators of the neighborhood gathering you decide to be part of. All right? Each small community communicates a little differently even now. Some use text. Some use email. Some use some apps like WhatsApp and Slack and different things like that. If you are a part of, let's say, the East Bay small community, it's essential that you can be contacted. If the leader of that community is saying, hey, we're going to do this thing on Friday night. We're going to have a worship event at such and such person's house, and we want everybody to be there. They need to be able to contact you. Um, So listen, we have to, this is super practical, but we have to figure this out. Communication has become just an incredible challenge for church leaders in these days. Why? Because people have, how many of you have more than a thousand emails in your inbox? Raise your hand, stand up, and we're going to shame you right now. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) My wife has like 18,000 or something in her inbox. I'm like, why don't you just delete them? It would take like all day to delete these. I get it. Like we're overloaded. Some of you have huge social networks. You're getting texts all the time. It's a lot. What am I asking? Maybe put some priority on your small community. Like I know Lynn, for example, does, because I'm on all the communications. Lynn does the, the communication for the Cranston, and she does a great job, like, you know, kind of letting everybody know what's, what's happening, what the next thing is. And so if you see, if you're in that small community and you see an email come in from Lynn, like open it and read it. <laughs> because it's, it's important. Okay, I'm not going to get too hard on this, but <laughs> it's, it's that practical. I'm just surprised sometimes. Like, what do you mean you don't know that this is happening? Like, I just wrote, you know, I just wrote a whole thing about it. It just people don't read 
the newsletters for the church. We try not to send that many. We send like two a month about. Like we send like little reminders. I might send like one letter a month uh, to the church on average. Like just, if this is your church community, like pay attention to what comes in through the email. If somebody from your small community texts you, how many know what to do? Listen, like just read it and respond back. What do they call it? Ghosting. Well, it's not quite ghosting, but, you know, just, hello, is anyone out there? You know, just, I'm getting really practical. Like we need to be good at communication. I feel like, I know because I do a lot of communication. So when I, when I communicate to people and I don't get any response back, I just feel like they, they didn't read it. They didn't get it, or they got it, and they don't really care what I just wrote or what I said. If I'm asking for a response, hey, let me know if you can be there or whatever. Let me. I, that's. I'm just being honest. Like that. I don't know how else to think about it. Um, so let's let's be good at this. This is super practical, but so important. Um, and and be in communication with your with whoever you're. You know, commun- whoever's doing the communication in your small community, let them know. I don't get email at all. If that's the case, I only get texting, or I only I only can take a phone call. That's fine. We will cater to what works for you. If that that's if you don't do emails or you don't have access to the internet or whatever, we will make sure. We'll that's on us. But let's let's work those things out. All right, it's too long on that point. Number nine, it means that when you come on the second and fourth Sunday, you won't have the luxury of just sitting in the back and not interacting with anyone. And I know as introverts, we love to do that. Those of you who are introverts, I can be like that myself. But the neighborhood gatherings are not set up like that at all. There's really no place to hide. You're talking about 20 people coming together, 30 people coming together. And honestly, I I think it's a really good thing. I think somehow this thing that we've called church that we can, somebody can come to church and then leave and they didn't talk to anybody, that that's not, that's not a good thing. Like we're really, really missing the mark if, if that's the case. We want church to be a place where we come and we have conversations with one another. Um, can somebody say amen to that? Amen. Yeah, it's meant to be done together. Number 10, it also means that if you invite a friend, he or she will interact in some way with most of the people at the neighborhood gathering. And I think this is a good thing. If someone is curious enough about Jesus to come to a church gathering... I don't think they want to be ignored. Um, They want to feel the love of God, not merely as an abstract concept, right? But they want to feel that love of God in a tangible way coming through God's people. If all they're interested in is listening to content in anonymity, then they can probably find plenty of content online. Number 11. 
speeding it up. It means that as you are part of a smaller community of people on a regular basis, that differences of opinion and personality and style will be felt more dramatically. (laughs) As I always say, it's really not that hard for a bunch of people to come together in the same room and just sing and hear a message. This is really not, it doesn't require a lot of grace to do that. Diverse groups of people do that all the time, right? At concerts, at movies, the food court, at the mall, a parade. People come together. That's not unity, right? When you gather small, there's no luxury of shallow unity. This is where grace and patience is required. And honestly, the New Testament will start becoming a lot more relevant in, when we're doing small community together. What is going on out there today? My gosh. All right. Number 12. It means that what makes a neighborhood gathering great is not so much the professional preacher's animated message, polished worship band, or the fancy building, but it's, it's, it's the love in God's people. There's no appealing product that attracts people when you talk about small communities. The attraction is just the authenticity and the depth of love within the community. And listen, this is very different from what American Christians are used to, right? We, as I was kind of picking on a few weeks ago, we love our kind of big box religious show with the smoke machines and the whole thing. You know, we just love the whole production of it because it's like impressive or something. It moves us. Like it even moves us from a, in a natural standpoint. A person can not even be a Christian and be moved by it. Just like somebody would be moved at a concert. Um, But we want, we want to go deeper than that. There's nothing wrong with excellence and nothing wrong with having a worship band and all that. But we want, to, we want more than that. We want authenticity. 13, it means that on the second and fourth Sundays, your absence will be felt. If you are absent. In a crowd of a thousand or even a hundred, nobody m- might even notice that you weren't there, right? But in a community of 30, everyone notices right? Where's Kelly Karambizi today? She's not here again? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you, you feel it. You feel it in the, in the smaller community if, if, somebody's, if somebody's not there. Um, again, you know, it doesn't mean we have to beat everything. You know, we travel and we get sick and things like that. But I think that that kind of accountability is really good for us, right? Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. It's very easy to just get out of the habit of coming and being with God's people. It'll be harder to do that in the smaller communities. All right, two more, and I have two minutes. Being Number 14, being part of a small community means that over time, deep relationships will form. It means you will be known. 
It means that ministry can be perfectly tailored to exactly what you need. And this, honestly, is where discipleship can happen. What I mean by discipleship is the older teaching the younger. And this happens best, really, in the context of smaller communities. For years, as a Christian, I became a Christian at 21 years of age. And for years, um, I did have a kind of a mentor for the first six months or so of my walk with God. But when I was part of my church in New York City and even at Bible school, it seemed like all of the mentors and teachers and stuff, I viewed them from a distance, the older, wiser, spiritual. They were just, okay, I was trying to glean from their lives, but it was just like they were so far away. When I went to Boston, my wife and I became friends with, and he was my boss as well, doing campus ministry, uh, Nick and Gina Furtado, and they really led us into their world. Like, we just spent time with them. We ate meals with them. We spent, like, entire days with them. One time we were there for, like, week, three weeks because uh, somebody was a missionary was staying in our apartment, so we just lived with Nick and Gina for three weeks, and we got to know their kids. And and it, that was the first time that this kind of, like, spiritual giant of a person, this older, wiser uh, man of God and woman of God sort of lied down and, and allowed us to kind of be a part of them and get get a first kind of hand close up glimpse of what they were all about. And that, that kind of thing happens when we when we do the smaller thing. And it is good. We need that. No individual has changed my life more than than my friend and mentor, Nick, um, for that very reason. I mean, I really don't remember any of Nick's sermons from my time in Boston. I mean, he's a, he's a good preacher, but I just it wasn't that. I mean, he preached faithfully, but it was just his life. Letting us into his life is what made all the difference. And that's what we're going for in these things. All right, I did go over time. I lied. It's one minute over, but I'm still going to give you this last point for those that are merciful. Um, You get this last point here. This new season of shifting to neighborhood gatherings also means that they have the potential to grow numerically. In the life of Rand Church, our fastest growth happened, honestly, in the first year of the church when we grew from 12 to about 30 in a very short period of time. And at one point, a little while later, we grew from 30 to over 100 in just a matter of months. So the potential for growth is there. And part of the reason we're doing this is to reach people who are not presently being reached by traditional church models. But it's messy. We're going to have skeptics. We're going to have people who are deeply wounded by church experiences. We're going to have people, broken people. We're going to have people who are just still figuring things out, who don't behave and believe Christianly at all. It's messy. It's messy. See, the bigger things get, the more you can kind of control them and keep them tidy. When you break it down, like the church was never messier 
<laughs> Renaissance Church, we've been in existence 20 years, was never messier than the first few years when there was like 20 or 30 of us. Right, Jackie? <laughs> I mean, because it's like it, we were a small group. We were a family. And there was drama and craziness and all kinds of different characters came into the community. I mean, just so many things happened in that short period of time. When things get bigger, you can kind of keep everything kind of tidy and distant. But messy is good. God is in the mess. And so we're not afraid of this mess at all. And Jesus gave us his command, go make disciples. And this is what, what we want to do. And so I just want to say that, leave that last thought with you that you know, make sure as you kind of step into this uh, new season of, of doing smaller communities that you kind of have it in the DNA that these, these could grow. You know, we, we want the, let's say the College Hill small community, for example, we, we want that to, to grow to 30, 40, maybe 50, whatever the magic number is, it's different for each group. And then for them to at some point just send out half of the, the community to a new location to start something new, to reach more new people. And that's kind of the idea. That's how this works all around the world. That's how this works, has worked really since the first century. Um, it's this multiplication. You know, it's a small, this is what happened in the first century. They met in houses and all of a sudden they blew up and it was like, we can't fit everybody in this house. All right, we're going to have to, you know, meet in two different houses. And, and then it just would keep growing because God keeps adding to his church daily, those who are being saved. All right, that's a lot of information, a lot of nuts and bolts, practical stuff. I hope this was helpful. Listen, if you're not yet in a small community, make sure you uh, come over to the table afterward and, and let us know. You know, make sure you know what you're doing next Sunday. Again, you can come here. It's fine. You can come here. It'll be a smaller thing downstairs. But we want everyone to be a part of this. Um, I'm excited about this this season. It's been, it's taken a long time to get to this point, right? I've been talking about this stuff for over a year, year and a half maybe. And so we're, we're finally stepping into it. And so let's pray. Father, I pray for an abundance of the grace of God to be all over this transition. And I pray that, that you would help us to grow uh, spiritually and relationally like we've never grown before. I pray that leadership gifts would bloom out of this new, new way of doing church. I pray that the people that have just been spectating, I think again about my brother, just kind of you know sitting, coasting. I pray that people in that category would suddenly find their, their giftings in operation and they would be bearing much fruit. Lord, it is our passion that we would bear much fruit for the glory of Jesus. Uh, so Lord, do it in us. Do it through us. Give us wisdom as we step into this messy process. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Love you guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs>